0: Arina, is Kleidash Tarhutno Bunuvam seda Raskoveriam Svas.
1: Oh, you did it very well. <laughs> I'm- Still having some rewards on your pronunciation, but wow, I'm uh, very impressed.
0: Hey, you're listening to Innovators Can Laugh, the fun startup podcast. I'm your host, Eric Milcher. On ICL, we interview an innovative entrepreneur in the European tech startup scene every week. My goal is to have my guests share their wisdom while having a little fun in the process. Now let's dive in. Thank you. My guest today is the beautiful Irina Abushtarova. She's the founder of The Recursive, which provides independent media coverage and is the main voice of the digital economy and startup scene here in Southeastern Europe. Prior to founding The Recursive, Irina has held leadership roles in sales, business development, and marketing for various tech companies in Bulgaria and Austria. Irina, welcome to Innovators Can Laugh.
1: Hey, Eric. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Yeah. No, I've been super excited to chat with you for, for a long time now. And I was doing some research on you, and one of the things that I was curious about is in your Twitter profile, you have that describes you. It says millennial, European, and get a thinker or Quedenker. I'm not even sure how to pronounce that. What what is that, mm-hmm. and what does it mean, Quedenker?
1: Oh, okay. So I guess you're referring also to my German part of my personality. So I, mean, I spent like 11 years of my life in in Austria, and the, be thinker banker, how you pronounce it, is the one who is like a lateral thinker. So you can make associations in different areas, in different disciplines. And this makes you be a bit more creative, so a bit more associative. And because I've never managed to be a specialist in anything, I was always like, how oh, you call them a jack like of a all small, trades. Yeah. Jack of all trades, a multi potential life. I also like this words. And this made me actually very good in sales because I don't. Think that there are many types of people and walks of life which I cannot chop chop. So that's what I can. I'm just jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I love that too. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, become the best at at your niche, and I, I've always disagree with that. I think it's better to be you know, top 20% in a few things versus, you know, top 5% in one thing, because the way that the world changes, it's it's better to be good at many different things as your experience tells. So I want to get into the recursive, but before we go there, I read something else that caught my attention because I used to wait tables. And I saw that you, you worked as a waitress for a few years to fund your studies. And uh, I worked for a waiter many years, the most embarrassing moment I ever had I gave a table, they weren't English speaking, this is back in Houston, but I Mm -hmm. gave them the wrong dessert. What I mean by the wrong dessert, I gave them the fake dessert. The one that had been sitting out for days, the cake was real, but it was many days old and the ice cream wasn't even ice cream. It was like this lard that we call Crisco and it didn't even melt. And so I didn't realize it until after they left the restaurant and I realized, holy crap, I just gave them the fake dessert. That was my biggest and most embarrassing mistake as a waiter. What's your biggest, most embarrassing thing as a, (laughs) as a waitress that happened to you?
1: You're bringing me back in time. So I I started as a waitress actually already in my hometown in Flofty. So I was waiting tables in the summer and partially also during school. It was a summer kind of bar. It was a very weird place. I had a very weird uniform. So I think this is one of the most embarrassing things about the job that I did. What was was weird about the uniform? What was wrong with the uniform? Well, back then in the early 2000s in Bulgaria, there was not much awareness on the topic of sexism and, you know, stuff like this. So I was wearing a very short skirt and a very short top. And people would look at me as a, you know, as a as a piece of meat. And uh, I was a shy girl in school, surprising me. And so I didn't feel very comfortable with that. But I think this really, you know, took me out of my comfort zone. And at some point I just learned how to make people respect me, regardless of the way I look. <laughs> and it was actually a very good training. And it gave me, of course, a very good, you know, basis for me to earn money when I moved abroad.
0: Yeah. Okay, yeah. There's a few of those restaurants in the states. They're actually chains. I don't know if they have chains here in southeastern Europe. Yeah, yeah, Hooters or Twin Peaks or one of those. And I think they're very popular among the single single men. You know, ages like 20 to 40. Probably a lot of married men go there too. I don't know why I just said single. I don't want to. <laughs> okay. You
1: know, that was a funny story that I had when I moved back to Austria. So. I don't know if you're aware, but Bulgarians have a different type of nodding. It's basically something upside down. I remember my colleagues being very confused. They would ask me, Hey, what is your dad? You know, as a new colleague and help out. And I would just nod in the way that I was used to nod, which is Bulgarian would be like this. And they would be, why wouldn't you do that? Like, what is wrong with her? And then they would see me doing it, because they were totally confused.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's probably you had a smile on your face while you were like shaking your head no at the same time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, but it's something which is suddenly in subconscious, you know, and even today, um, I'm not even sure how to not. I think I'm hearing it more like the Indian way because I don't know where I am. <laughs> You're probably just As like...
0: Yeah, Yeah. you probably just need to do like a full circle, you know?
1: I don't Yeah, it's <laughs> very, very, of course. So don't make me nod.
0: Okay, I won't make you nod. All right. On this show, you got to clearly say yes or no. <laughs> That's the standard. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're, one of your first jobs was working for a magazine in Vienna. And uh, I just want to kind of get an idea. Of like, is that when you had your aha moment that, hey, I like media, you know, I, I, mm. I want to do something like this for the rest of my career. I mean, did you discover mm. that there?
1: I was I was studying media. So I was waiting for this moment when I would start working in my disciplinary. And what was weird about it is how I got my job. So I actually first modeled for the magazine. A friend of mine was doing an article about the women from Eastern Europe who are, you know, marvelous. They are educated, they, they look good, they,
0: (laughs) so... I know, I uh, married one, I know.
1: (laughs) So, you know, in any case, when they were doing the interview for me, they would give a title to my interview and the title was Irina can do everything and, and she wants everything. So that was a bit awkward. And shortly after that, when I met the publisher of the magazine, he was currently hiring people and I was supposed to introduce myself and I said, okay, I modeled for you. You know, I was part of this story and then, you, but I can't remember you. Who are you? And then I just voted the cycle. Irina will understand, so, you know, <laughs> wants everything and she can do everything. And he looked at me and he said, hey, is that true? Can you do that? And I was like, okay, I've been waiting tables for the past four years. I have not finished my education yet. What should I answer? And he said, yes. <laughs> And this is how I got actually my first sales job in, in the magazine. And for four months I was doing cold calls. I didn't sell anything, which was super frustrating. And then at some point things started, you know, turning. So it wasn't so much, I don't know, working for media. I just, I don't know, I realized my potential in sales. It was a very good training.
0: Okay. So code calling for four months and not getting any sales. Now, that tells me that you are just plain persistent, Arina, because I think most people would have either quit or realized, hey, this is not for them. Why did you continue (laughs) working in this role? (laughs) Did you, were able to like go into another position or, or what happened there?
1: I was very desperate at the end of the four months. I was wondering, why are they tolerating me? I was already thinking, what else should I do? But there was not much that I could do because as I said, I didn't have any kind of, you know, formal education finished. I was still studying. The only field that I had was waiting tables. So I guess I'm very grateful that they were patient with me. And at some point, I actually even got like head of sales. Head of sales? You can't even make a sale. Well, you know, with, with sales, there is something necessary happening. I, I can't really say. I think it's a lot which has to do with the attitude. You know, at some point, I learned that if I get too many no's in a row, then for a while, I need to stop so that I don't influence my next call or my next email or whatever in my next meeting. I think learning to have a thick skin and not to be frustrated about having notes was the most important part. And the other part was that I started learning to develop my network. So I wasn't performing sales, but I would go to every possible event during the week. And from Monday to Friday, I was everywhere else and at first I would know one people maybe in the room and then I would know three people in the room and Then at some point I felt very well connected and when you have this network then things start you know moving and then we applied for a job after that because everything all the opportunities that I, were, I was getting also for sales or for job for career they were coming from the network and yeah I am persistent too my ex-boyfriend would probably say I'm stubborn I don't give up easily." no
0: yeah No, there's something you said there that I, that I really, really loved. And that was if you get too many no's in a row, it's time to like, like pause and step back because a lot of people continue there. A lot of people think, Hey, I need X number of no's before I get my first yes. And they keep beating down that path and and they don't stop. Right. But the smart thing to do would be just as you said, Hey, take a break, kind of like reevaluate, you know, maybe the process of what you're doing or what you're communicating and just, you know, just, just. Just take a step back and, and maybe try mm-hmm. something different. And I think a lot of people, they get burned out because they're, they're getting a lot of no's or they're getting a lot of rejection or a lot of failures, but they're not really trying to change things up or at least try something different. Okay. So you're, you're meeting all these people, you're getting all these connections and we're still in Vienna. I mean, we haven't came back to Sofia yet, correct? Yep. Okay. Okay. And at some point you had this idea about helping expats who are relocating to Vienna. And so you co-founded this platform or website called Welcome Buddy. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, how did you get that up and running? Were you able to bootstrap the entire thing? What, what, what did it offer to, to expats?
1: Do you know the, you know, the attitude, how we celebrate our failures, So that was my failure. Basically I, yes, I co-founded the platform. We never really got Life. The team unfortunately split up and. Uh, you know, years after that I learned this is the most common, you know, problem that is happening in startups. It's not so much the funding, it's not so much the strategy, but it's often actually the conflict in the team. What we wanted to do is basically share our experience and I I had a, I had a difficult start in the beginning, but maybe because I was also again persistent and always trying to be a bit more invasive in how I approach life. I learned all the different tricks of how to deal in a new system and how to get to know people and, and so on and so forth. Then I thought that if I share this experience with others, then they would have an easier head start. That was the idea of the platform. We wanted to provide very, very practical information on how to set up your your life and how to walk through all the administration hurdles that you have in the beginning, but maybe in an easier way. We need and, that in
0: Bucharest. We need that in Romania.
1: <laughs> well, you need it everywhere. And, yeah. you know, this kind of people, they're also very interesting for many brands because they're very hard to catch. They are not reading traditional media. They might be on social media, but they're still not in the networks that you would usually find them. Yeah. So, and they're about to set up their life from scratch. So they would need everything phone contracts, insurance, babysitter, schools, and, and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, as I said, we didn't really manage to stick as a team. At some point, we we split up, and I still think that it's a great idea that we had. But, yeah, we missed it back then. And how how not to do a startup, basically.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Was the entire team local? Were they all based in Vienna, or were some people remote?
1: Well, they were in the beginning, and then one of the co-founders got divorced. He moved to Ukraine. He married a Ukrainian girl. Although she was there only for the project, she somehow, somehow stayed there. Then the other co-founder was a singer. So at some point, she decided to devote herself to her singer's career and move with her husband to Dubai, who at some point said, I'm not going to support you anymore in this project. And I was there alone, and I was thinking: Should I wait tables to finance the project, or should I find like a new job? And this sounds like a telenovela, you know? <laughs> the, the the that's what it sounds like. They go off and they meet some stranger and get married. And I think my life is like full of with stories like this. But well, the good part about it is that I really got into the startup life. I started going to all those conferences. I started learning about digital marketing, which back then was actually totally different from the way that the big brands were doing it. Very in you know very industrious, very performance driven, and so on and so forth. And I also got to know all these amazing people that happened to be at startup conferences, and I fell in love with the vibe, this optimism, this cooperative attitude, on what's kind of you know support you and cheer you up. And I didn't know that from before. Yeah. So yeah. that was the the upside of the startup. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so you go back to Sofia and you found it like an international outlet of trending topics in Sofia? Like, how did that come about and how did you get that off the ground?
1: another funny story. So I have two friends in Vienna. We were like a clique. So we would hang together at Saturday. We would be friends. We would share our this status moment together. And at some point, they wanted to incorporate trending topics. It was before that, it was like a small project in a publishing house that they wanted to do like a real thing out of it. So they started working on that. And they always imagined that we would be the three of us. They were even though, doing the photos and they would say, okay, this is going to look so well. We need a female co-founder. Why don't you join? For six months, they were doing that. And for six months, I was saying no. And the only reason that I was saying no is that back then I already knew that I want to move back to Bulgaria. I During my startup experimentation, I fell in love with a guy who was living in Sofia. We've been having, you know, this, Long distance relationship, very funny, Moroccan living in Sofia, I was a Bulgarian living in Vienna, and then we met in Istanbul. And at some point, I thought, okay, okay, so I will move back. My brother was already back from London here. I saw this, you know, very cool community happening around innovation and startup. So for six months, I was saying no. And then at some point, I said, hey, guys, I mean, if you really want to work with me, then you have to open trending Topics in Sofia. And I think there is a potential because the market is developing so fast and I can develop that for you. So one and a half years later, after they incorporated and they launched their own media platform, one of the co-founders called me and said, hey, Irina, let's do it, go. <laughs> we need editors, you need to find them. And then things started happening very easily. I ran into the right people, although when I moved back to Sofia, I knew only two people, in yeah. Sofia. not much. I, I didn't have any kind of network. Yep. But sometimes when things start happening very easily, then you know that you're on the right path.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, uh, you know, what would you say to anybody who's interested, specifically somebody like maybe from the States or Western Europe, when they're asking you, like, what is the startup ecosystem like in Southeastern Europe? I mean, what what is, your, what is your answer to that?
1: Hmm. Well, I would say that, you know, innovation can come from very, very unexpected places. And Southeast Europe is kind of a place like that. People don't really know much about it. I'm not even sure that many Americans know where it is geographically. Sorry for that joke. but No, it's, not, think- it's, it's, it's not a
0: joke. When I told people I was moving to Romania, people were like, hey, what is that, like an amusement park in Italy? I mean...
1: Yeah. So, yes. And what I find very curious is that for a very long period, this region has been struggling economically. So this gave the birth to... People who are very creative who are thinking very much out of the box, and when they do startups, they do it in a very creative way. They tend to do it with much less money than founders, let's say, in Berlin or in the US would do it. They're very robust. So, you know, economic crisis, a financial crisis. What do we have now? Energy crisis and post-COVID crisis. I think these guys are so used to crisis that they know how to go through that and. At the same time, Bulgarians, especially in my generation, they were moving abroad right after school. So we were emigrating because we thought that there will be better opportunities somewhere in the West. And at some point, many people started returning. And these are guys who have international experience, who have a totally different perspective on the world. And they brought their experience here in order to build global company. I think this is amazing. I really found my place back here. A couple of years ago, when I was living in, in Vienna, I would never have thought that I would move back to Bulgaria. I always thought, yeah, maybe I would move to another country somewhere in Europe. Yeah. But Bulgaria, no way. And then the whole trend started turning. So I think we are very good at setting up companies who are supposed to be international from day one. This is another typical thing about the startup ecosystem here, is that the domestic market. They're very small and they're often not very sophisticated, so they wouldn't pay for your product, mm-hmm. which means that most of the companies start sending to the U.S., to the U.K., to Germany very, very early on. Yeah, And uh, this is quite often critical for a startup. How are you going to set up your scanning strategy? How are you going to grow internationally? Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah, the adoption, a lot of startups that I talk to here, I ask them, like, where's the majority of your customers? The States because the uh, the adoption is just much easier there it's much easier to get customers to see the value of your product versus here in the local scene where um, they're not they're they're not their risk appetite is not as high so yeah and, and it's so admirable startups here in this region who do go international and what i what i mean by that it's like in the states you're access to 50 different states and you're also you can also lump uk canada and australia in there pretty easily right here if you want to just go next door 200 miles away that's an entirely different language entirely different custom Mm. way of doing things in business and the fact that companies here can do that it's just so admirable because once they've got like three or four under their belt and they've got a process in place then there's no reason why they can't be global so i definitely agree with you there and you know the brain drain it's it's something that that's quite quite common i think here in romania too as you talk about bulgaria a lot of people leaving the country and there's just so, so much opportunity for people who do want to create something and create a business and and, and come
1: back because there's so much opportunity. You are going to say, you mentioned the welcome party thing, so the expert kind of platform. That was the time when I started looking at the migration streams in the European Union. And when I looked at the map of the brain drain in Bulgaria and Romania, it made me really, really sad because I was yeah. thinking these regions, they're actually you know, skipping or they're, they're losing future because a lot of the young people who are actually smart and ambitious, they moved abroad. And at some point they thought, I shouldn't be facilitating Romanians and Bulgarians integrate to Austria. I should yeah. be doing the other thing. And a lot of Bulgarians abroad, they were very negative about their home country. Actually, yes. Bulgarians in Bulgaria are also very negative. I think it's <laughs> yeah. kind of like similar with the Romanians where they, they are very ambassadors. Yeah. We are very bad ambassadors for that region. We always think that, you know, the grass is green and somewhere and here everything is like very shitty.
0: Yeah,
1: And I thought, hey, what, I mean, we can keep on complaining or we can take things in our hands. And back then I was, how, how old? Like, I don't know, close to 30. And I thought, if I'm not able to take responsibility in my 30s, then well, <laughs> I need to move back and contribute in the way that I believe that I can contribute the most.
0: Yeah. No, I, I feel for you. I feel exactly the same way. I mean, my kids, they're Romanian-American and if we're going to have a future here, then I want to play my part and uh, and help, you know, entrepreneurs, because I feel like entrepreneurs are, are the ones that, that have the vision and not just a vision for what they want to achieve, but also a vision what they want their, their country to look like in, in the years ahead. So that's, that's why I do my part or <laughs> try to do my part. Well, and, you know,
1: we can speak a lot about entrepreneurship, but what I want to say, I think A lot of, I can say about the Bulgarians, I don't know so much about the Romanians, but I think we're very similar. A lot of them have this victimized kind of view on the world, like someone else's fault for what is happening here. And entrepreneurs in this region, they're the opposite and they're the exception where they say, I see a problem. Okay, I see a market niche that I'm going to actually work towards, you know, contributing for the solution to that problem. So they are very solution oriented and this is why I believe that entrepreneurial mindset, regardless if you're a startup founder, even if you if you're like an, an employee, if you have this, it needs to be supported because it is a reason with a lot of problems. But these same I in their market needs to, There's so many opportunities. Yeah. You can basically copy paste solutions that you have seen somewhere in, around the world and just you know apply them here. You don't even have to be super innovative to find you know the next big thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So another question that I had for you, and I totally agree with you, Adina, is the recursive.
1: Where did that name come from? What does it mean to you? (laughs) I was sleepless one night. I'm not a good sleeper. I was looking for a name of the company. I was really tenacious about having a com domain, dot com domain. And, you know, it's hard. Nowadays, it's very hard. So I would look for a name that would imply future, would apply technology, would apply innovation, but without using these words in itself, because they're yeah, very misused already today. Yeah. So at some point I ran into the term recursive, I didn't know what it meant. And then I started researching and then I opened the topic new your world because it is, it is an approach in programming. It is an approach also in mathematics in psychology, linguistics, you know, Noam Chomsky speaks about the recursive language. And it's pretty much something that that is very typical for, for humans. If we can think in a recursive way, there is an author who speaks about the recursive mind. Then we can make references about the present, but also the future and the past in one sentence. We can build very complex structures. And if you amplify that with power of technology. Then we come to the point which people call superintelligence because we can do recursion un- endlessly.
0: Oh, um, okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> now, now I get it. Okay. And it. It really got me excited because it was very philosophical. It had an R. I believe that every good brand has an R because it gives like authority to the whole founding of the whole thing. And my parents, they met in, ma- in math school. Cool. So they are mathematicians. And I have this, I value mathematics. I was good at, at that in school, and at some point I realized that actually the Fibonacci sequence—if you want to calculate the next member, you know, in the sequence—then you would have to use the recursive function. And it reminded me very much of the golden ratio. And then I was like, okay, if I have the golden ratio in the name of my company, and even if no one knows about it, I would be super happy. Yeah. And I found a domain for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. But you know. <laughs> Uh, my whole team was against it. They always said, like, ah, God, this is so complicated. And I remember myself saying at the whiteboard and trying to explain to them the Fibonacci sequels and the golden ratio and what is the connection between this. So, yes, basically made like a leader's decision. I did a hard decision and said, but it's going to be this one. And at some point they started knowing it. Good. Good, good. Because, also, you know, innovation happens in a recursive way. Sorry for, you know, <laughs> I need to get rid of that. So you have to imagine, so you you have one invention, then you have another invention. And based on the two inventions, then you develop the next one and the next one and the next one. It's a recursion again. So there is the same recursive innovation. And at some point, it totally fits to the whole concept. And I, we wanted to adopt this also in our philosophy in the way that, I don't know if you have read the claim under the logo, it's called Story Shape Story. Okay. Which has a recursion in the in the statement, meaning that I believe every story which is inspiring, which is kind of like a success story, is going to give the confidence to the next one to be more entrepreneurial, to believe in their success, which is super important in the start of life.
0: Yeah. And
1: I think that in this way we will inspire a next generation of entrepreneurs and maybe more people to stay in the country, to move back to the country to not be brain drained. <laughs> Okay, well,
0: what's next for the recursive? I mean, you guys have already kind of established yourself as the, the main media source for finding out about innovation and, and startups here in this region, but what do you think, what do you think the next three to five years look like?
1: I have to admit that right now we're exactly in the process where we want to define a bit more clear, which would be the next step. The one thing that is clear is definitely that we need to grow geographically. I think sorry, someone, anyway, we. Want to expand to the other countries in Central and Eastern Europe because I think they share very similar challenges with uh, you in Bulgaria and Romania, in, in Greece. So, geographical expansion is one thing. The second thing is we are looking for a business model which is scalable. And right now, what we do depends pretty much on people. We're doing a lot of content campaigns for our customers because this is what we can do best. That's our talent deal with create content and mm-hmm. distribute it to different channels. But this is very exotic when it comes to you know people. It the more customers you have, the more people you will have. So it's not really scalable. Right. And I've been struggling with the business model of media for I don't know fifteen years. The whole digitalization disrupted this industry to a place where it brought them actually to to extinction. A lot of you know, for instance, the regional media they don't exist anymore. Local papers they don't exist yeah. anymore, and still we don't really manage to find sustainable business model for media for actually for journalism i wouldn't say media for journalism there are probably 10 brands in the world who get paid for the journalism and most of the other media outlets they do events they do marketing they do advertising which makes them very dependent so we're trying to be innovative here find something which is new something that maybe relates to business media I think business media is a very, has a very unique position in the business ecosystem because you basically talk to all the different stakeholders. You're kind of like in the middle. Can we leverage this position? But I cannot share more than that. We're still working on some concepts that we would like to test out. The other thing, and the third thing that is very important for us is to learn to leverage our data. Basically, journalists, they do collect data. They do data mining all the time. The only, so let it's not structured, it's actually put in stories. And I think it's very, we're very close to the fact that we're going to start also structuring the data, and then we will probably see new kind of dependencies, we will see new kind of relations and we will see even better in our feminism.
0: Great. Great. Good to hear. Okay. Two last fun questions. So that way we can get to know your personality a little bit better, <laughs> First question is, <clears throat> what is in unusual food or drink? that you consume an unusual food or drink that you consume.
1: Hmm. I'm not even sure how it's called. I guess it's unusual for many people in the West when you eat actually the organs of when I say the the lamb and the the the, the beef and, and so on and so forth. I really love that. I okay. think many people in the West feel disgusted it about it. But I do treasure this kind of like very traditional cuisine where yeah you would aim not to have weight anything that you're, that you're cooking and anything that you're smothering are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: yeah, no, no, no. The, the Mexican culture is like that too. I mean, they have a dish called lingua and they have some weird things here or over there that I've consumed before too. My, my, my philosophy is, Hey, if I don't know what it is and it tastes good, don't tell me what it is. Okay. Just let me enjoy it. <laughs> okay. Next question for you, Adina, last question. What happened during a hilariously bad date? If you can recall a really bad date that was funny, what
1: happened? Mm-hmm. Let me think. I never really liked the concept of a date because it's before it's like, you know, going to a job interview, it makes me kind of anxious, but uh-huh. I remember one time I thought I was on a date. I really liked the guy. And we were having a great conversation. And at some point, I felt his jacket vibrating. So I, you know, told him, hey, your phone is ringing. Why don't you pick up? And he picked up and it was his girlfriend. (laughs) And not only that, he actually invited her over. And she came with her gay boyfriend. And we were, you know, the four of us at the bar, he was talking to her gay boyfriend and he was talking to me. And we continued after that. She got a bit pissed and I tried to convince him that he should behave in a different way and he should go after her because he left the, the bar and so on and so forth. And then at some point I was like, okay, I didn't expect you to have your girlfriend on, uh, on a date. And he said, well, next time you should, you know, be more tenacious about bringing me home first and not her. And I was like, Okay, but we're two friends, so <laughs> I get along very well with this guy. We never really got into a relationship, but we had always this great vibe, so it's date
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is funny. When it starts off like, hey, I thought we were on a date. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a funny story.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, but I think we have, have like a different idea of what a, what, a, what a date is, I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right, Anina, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on Innovators Can Laugh. I will include links to the recursive and in the show notes for everybody listening. Hey, if you enjoy this, tell others about it. And you can check this, this video out on YouTube. Just look for Innovators Can Laugh. All right. Have a great week. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Eric.
0: Thank you.